Who's your trusted source when it comes to your facility questions, concerns, and needs? Ours is Hard True, the world's largest manufacturer of tennis court surfaces, equipment, and accessories for over 90 years. Partner with their trusted team of experts, along with collegiate greats Jamie Loeb, Alex Rybakov, and Dustin Taylor to bring the service provider of over 30 professional events annually to your facility. Whether it's the red clay of the Houston ATP, the green clay courts of the Charleston WTA, or the official hard court of World Team Tennis, Hard True has you covered. If you're looking to build a court, convert a hard court to clay, or simply resurface your hard court, work together with Hard True in their mission to lead the tennis industry by creating better places to play. To learn more about their state-of-the-art surfaces, along with their catalog customizable on-court accessories, check out hardtrue.com or call 877-442-7878 today. That's hardtrue.com or 877-442-7878 today. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, March 1st. What a weekend of tennis we were just treated to. We had a fantastic final WTA event down under in Australia. Three ATP 250s, a couple of challengers, some college tennis, ITF action across the globe. As always, it's a phenomenal time to be a tennis fan. What we are going to be doing on today's podcast, recapping all of this weekend's action. And of course, I was hoping to be able to record this weekend our crack racket schedule a bit in flux. We were so grateful that so many of you chose to join us yesterday on your Sunday afternoon to enjoy some college tennis. If you missed our Red Zone broadcast of the TCU Pepperdine and USC UCLA thrillers, and they both really were thrillers, uh, you can go check out that broadcast on our Red Zone feed. A huge thank you again to the Pepperdine and UCLA athletic programs, everyone associated in the efforts to make it happen so that we could broadcast those matches. There's a lot of behind-the-scenes details I won't regale you all with now, but it's a lot more complicated than I anticipated, and because of the tireless effort of those two schools, we were able to make that broadcast happen. So again, a huge shout out to them, a huge shout out to all of you for joining us on the broadcast. Shout out to super producer Daniel Westoff, who I will never quite figure out how he makes everything happen, yet he does. So again, if you missed that, be sure to go check out our YouTube channel. But again, on today's podcast, just going to be me today recapping all of the pro tennis action we saw unfold. Now, Jamie McDonald did join me on this week's Deciding Point, which of course you can all find on our YouTube channel or on our Great Shot podcast feed for uh, a bit of a, I suppose, broader, more super superficial is the wrong word, more surface recap of all of the action. But I want to get into depth with some of the matches we saw unfold this week. And of course, the reason I'm able to do this day in, day out because of the support 
support we get from you fantastic listeners, from our Patreon family, and of course from our friends at Midwest Sports. Just go to MidwestSports.com, use that promo code CR15 to get 15% off your order free. Two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls was such a pleasure for me on Friday to be joined by Dave Limke, Senior Buyer, Product Manager, Head Honcho, Big Wig at Midwest Sports to talk about the latest products and then again some of the things we have in store with our partnership with Midwest Sports. So be sure to go check out that podcast and again MidwestSports.com. The promo code is CR15. With that in mind, again, just me on today's podcast doing what I like to do most, talking a little bit about the tennis I watched this weekend. Let's start on the women's side with our final WTA event in Australia. It was the event in Adelaide. I believe this was a WTA 500 event, although the nomenclature is still a bit unclear to me. Nevertheless, we saw two bigwigs in our final, two top 20 players who were playing their best tennis, in my opinion, heading into the match. And ultimately, seems like any of us who are wondering, was Iga Sviantec's run to the French Open title real? How real was it? Will she be able to translate that success across surfaces? The early returns in this 2021 season suggest, yes, as Sviantec works her way to the title in Adelaide, knocks off Belinda Bencic in a straight set final match, 6-2, 6-2, to take home the second title of her career. Of course, she becomes now one of, I believe, six current active W. TA players, current and active, synonymous, I apologize for that, hey, great shot by me, but one of six active players, according to Jeff Sackman at Tennis Abstract, to have won titles on both hard courts and clay courts prior to her 20th birthday, I think that list expands to seven if you just include WTA champions on two different surfaces before they the age of 20, but Again, for Sviantec, I mean, she was so good all week long, did not drop a set. And I mean, the draw definitely opened up for her, the fact that she got Danielle Collins, who had played so many matches in that quarterfinal match. Collins retiring midway through the second set. Then she got Jill Teichman after Teichman had survived a three-hour battle in her quarterfinal match. She wins that 3-2. and two. And then obviously, Belinda Bencic was coming off of a three-set, two-hour, 45-minute battle herself the prior day as she knocked off Goff in three sets. That's to advance to this final, and I want to get to Belinda Bencic in a second, but when we talk about Iga Sviantec, the thing that jumps out, you know, obviously the backhand, her ability to absorb pace, redirect it, go cross-court, short angle, drive down the line, it's something that jumps out when you watch her play, but the thing that jumps out the most is the athleticism. I mean, Iga Sviantec looks so comfortable moving on clay, she may look even more comfortable moving on hard courts. Her ability to slide into that backhand wing It's special, folks, and I don't say that lightly. Her ability to hit that ball on the slide, her ability to, again, absorb pace, go from defense to offense, just neutralize points, even her forehand, which still has a bit of a hitch. It's a bit of a weird, funky backswing, a quick take back, and it's an extreme grip, and yet she seemed to handle the pace of Bencic well and just get that ball back deep in the center third of the court, not open up any obvious opportunities for Bencic to attack. Now, of course, there were still opportunities for Bencic to attack, hit the swinging volleys, take the ball on the rise and down the line like she likes to do, but Sviantec just did such a good job of minimizing 
those chances for Benchich in this match. You look for Sviantek, she made 57.9% of her first serves, but she was 32 of 38 on service points throughout the match. Let me say that again, 32 of 38. She dropped six points on serve in this match, did such a good job with her second serve in return in particular of getting that ball deep and again just getting the point back to neutral so that Benchich didn't have any obvious glaring plus one opportunities. She held Benchich to 8 of 22 on the Benchich second serve. Obviously, Sviantek only dropped six points on serve, so she didn't face a break point in the entire match. You know, she was just on her front. Oh, well, even when she wasn't on her front foot, even when Benchich was driving through the ball, Benj, uh, you know, Ika Sviantek just kept making that extra shot, and then as soon as Benchich would leave a ball in the center, that's when Sviantek would hit a ball to the outer third herself and begin to dictate in the rally, and it was just such an impressive week of performances from Iga Sviantek. You look at what she was able to accomplish, Sviantek, who with this win crazily only up to a career high of number 15 in the WTA Live rankings, considering she has a Grand Slam title under her belt in the past 12 months. That does feel a little bit low, and according to Tennis Abstract, I believe right now she's number 6 in their ELO ratings, but I mean, all week long, she won, I think, in every match, but her first match, at least 72% of her first serve points. She was over 50% on the second serve in each and every one of her matches. You look for Sviantek now, she's 18-5 and in her last 52 weeks. Her loss is coming to Vika at the U.S. Open. Obviously, that one looks fine in retrospect. She lost a match early in Australia to Ekaterina Alexandrova. She lost to Halep in three sets fantastic round of 16 match in Australia. Uh, Then her other loss, Aranxa Roos, her first match in Rome on the clay courts. Obviously, we saw her bounce back on clay, so not too concerned about that Aranxa Roos match, but I mean, the thing she does so well is just how balanced she is, her ability to, again, put so many returns in the court. She's won 49.2% of her return points in her last 52 weeks. She's only making about 60% of her first serves, but she's winning 64% of those points, 54% of her second serve points. You look again, according to Tennis Abstract's rankings, their statistics leaderboard of players in the top 50 in terms of these last 52 weeks uh, for Iga Sviantek as a server. I believe she's like the number 13. Yeah, she's in the number 13 server in terms of serving points. One, you look for her as a returner during that same time stretch. Iga Sviantek, the number five returner on tour. When you're essentially a, you know, a top 10 server and a top five returner in the top 50 players, you're probably having a lot of success. And so it shouldn't surprise anyone that Iga Sviantek has had the success she has. Again, it just works. That game translates across surfaces. That backhand's going to work no matter where she plays, her ability to open up the court with her slice serve out wide and then that plus one forehand when she has time with it to go down the line. Again, her ability to create angles for herself, her ability to hit the kicker out wide on the ad side as well. She can just do a lot of really, really good things on the court, and she's got the athleticism, she's got the frame, she's got everything you want in your modern tennis player, and so it's not going to surprise anyone when Iga Sviantek cracks the top 10 at some point in her career. We should just all expect it to happen sooner rather than later because clearly her game works across surfaces and her confidence is starting to meet up with her skill set. That's a dangerous thing for all of the other women's players right now in the game. And speaking of which, the player who, if it wasn't for Sviantek, would have been the most notable performer of the week, Belinda Bencic, who had probably her best performance at an event since... 
I don't know, maybe that 2019 semifinal run she made to the U.S. Open. I know she made a couple of quarterfinals uh, at the beginning of last season, but for Bencic, you know, it, it was an easy first two matches over Masaki Doi and Storm Sanders, but in that match against Coco Goff, she did such a good job of attacking the first ball when she, you know, would land a first serve, and she won 72.8% of her ser- first serve points in that match, and she just kept taking the ball early, kept attacking down the line, and, you know, it's a credit to Coco Goff, who was down, you know, a match point seven six five three, and was able to fight it off by being aggressive, and she did a really good job of making the adjustment midway through that second set of just, you know, attacking the Benchich second serve and taking it on the rise and really playing to the outer thirds and focusing more on location rather than depth because, again, more than anything else, you just have to get Belinda Benchich off of her spots. You have to take her off of the strike zone, but... Man, when Belinda Bencic has time to hit the ball cleanly, her ability to take that ball on the rise, you know, she anticipates really well. That's also what allows her to take the ball early, her ability to go down the line. I think she can hit that swinging volley cross court as well when you hit her an elevated, you know, garbage ball. She just... There's a reason she was the number one junior in the world. There's a reason when healthy, she's put forward the results that she has throughout her career. And she finally seems to be healthy, fit, finding her rhythm once again. This is a really good week of tennis now. You know, Sviantek just hit her off of her spot. And I think for Bencic, that's an issue for her, certainly, because she's not as good of a mover as some of these other top power players. But... She can certainly strike the ball as well as anyone, and so for Bencic, she gets some confidence back here, and you look at her results in Australia, wins over, you know, uh, Lauren Davis, Fentlana Kuznetsova before the loss to Elisa Mertens, then, uh, you know, the wins over Doi, Sanders, and Goff before the loss to Sviantek. She's finding her rhythm, and now she's going to have a really tricky first round here this week in Doha. She takes on Madison Keys, who's also playing her first match of the 2021 season. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but again, I thought Bencic played the ball up. Uh, really well. She was, she kept Goff on her back foot and eventually wore Coco Goff down. Now, what an effort from Coco Goff this past week. We saw in Adelaide, she comes through qualifying a three-set win over Kaya Yuvan, three-set wins over Paulini, Martich, and Rogers before the three-set loss to Belinda Bench. She just ran out of steam at the end. You could see it. The double fault started to pile up. The, you know, first serve percentage began to plummet, but Coco Goff's a stud, folks, and she just reminded everyone why, again, this week in Adelaide. Nevertheless, really good week from her, really good week from Bencic, but Iga Sviantek, one of the five best players in the world right now in the women's game. She proved as much last week in Adelaide. Uh, That was, again, the one WTA-level event we had. Let's switch gears now, talk about some of the ATP results we saw, and I think we have to start in Cordoba, and we made this the deciding point of uh, this week's show, so I I won't repeat myself too much here, but oh my god, what a performance from Juan Martin Serendolo, who becomes the first player to win a title in his ATP Tour debut since Santiago Ventura at in back in 2004. More from the ATP media info. He's only Argentine in the open era to win a title in his tour-level debut. He's the fifth lowest-ranked champion in ATP Tour history at number 335. He's the youngest Argentine champion since Guillermo Coria. In 2001, he snaps an 11-match losing streak for qualifiers in ATP Finals. Again, you talk about for Serendolo since 1990, the only players to win titles who were uh, lower ranked than him. Leighton Hewitt, Fernando Gonzalez, Tommy Haas, 
and Pablo Andahar's. That Andahar one's a little bit weird. Of course, that was more at the end of Andahar's career, but I think for most players, if you said, hey, you can have Pablo Andahar's career, they'd probably say yes. Nevertheless, to join Gonzo, Leighton Hewitt, and Tommy Haas, pretty nice company for Juan Martin Surandolo, who... You know, also, by the way, uh, the third player in the past two years to win both his first ATP match and his first ATP title in the same tournament, joining Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, fourth player, excuse me, Davidovich Fokina, Braden Schnurr, and Danilo Petrovic as the other three players to do that. And I mean, from an eye test standpoint, it's very clear he is best on clay right now. He's got a big winding forehand, and these Cordoba courts, uh, which he was playing on, you know, the Cordoba event played on clay this past week. They were awfully slow, and he had plenty of time to wind up that forehand, move it around the court. He's someone who likes to throw in the moon ball on both the forehand and the backhand side. When he stretched on the slide, he'll elevate that ball 20 feet above the, the, the net and just, you know, give you a nothing ball, dare you to hit a swinging volley because he's got such good speed. He thinks he can track that ball down and then get you in a compromised position where he can hit the passing shot. And crazily, it freaking worked for him all week long. I mean, again, go watch the match. Surandolo won 55.8% of his second serve points throughout the weekend. Given, I don't think he eclipsed 100 miles per hour on any of those second serves. That's a stunning number for him. And I mean, all weekend long, I think every match he won, and in fact, you look for Surandolo, every match he won this week, sans his first round win over Tiago Sabathville, was a three-set victory, and the thing he does so well are, uh, is make the matches physical, get you stretched to the outer third and just hit that neutral ball that gets the point back to zero, and he made a wager all week long that he could outgrind his opponent, that he could you know, move the ball around and eventually lull you to sleep so that he could wind up with that big backswing on his forehand and go for the big inside in or go for the big down the line, throw in the drop shot when you were least expecting it and, you know, move forward. And he, again, he had success against each and every opponent, Kesmenovic, Montiero, Correa, Ramos. They just did, and Sabathville, they just did not know how to adjust to his game. And so, of course, for him now, you know, for Serendolo, he's up to number 181 in the world, which as a 19-year-old, you know, that's exactly where you want to be. And he doesn't turn 20 until November. He's going to have the opportunity to pretty much get into exclusively challengers now. And, of course, he can consult with his brother, Francisco, who... Our fantastic writer David Gertler wrote about as well as Juan Manuel at the beginning of last week. Uh, and you can lean on him and say, hey, what worked for you? What doesn't? What should I avoid from a scheduling standpoint? What should I look for? Uh, and for Surandolo, again, he's just rock solid off of both wings. When he has time, that backhand, it's a neutralizing shot. He doesn't do much with it, but he can move it around the court. And, you know, that forehand is really what he's looking to set up the point with, to lull you to sleep with. It very much works on clay. Now, of course, you look for Juan, Man, Sir, uh, Juan Manuel Serendolo at this point uh, in his career. And, you know, again, only 19 years old. You look at what he's accomplished now with this ITF title. He is up to number 181. But you look in total for his career thus far. And he had a bunch of future success at the beginning, uh, end of last year, beginning of the season. But he still only played 145 matches in his career. He's played 139 of those matches on clay courts, only four of them on hard courts. We need to see how that game holds up on a quicker surface because put a little pace, 
pressure on that forehand wing with how big his backswing is. It's going to sit up. It's going to be attackable. That being said, you see the pieces uh, of absolutely a player who can just do a lot of things on the court. And again, He's still so young, so he can protect himself, play a clay-centric schedule this season, continue to build up his confidence before he explores and goes plays, you know, maybe the hard courts later in the fall. If he still has this good of a ranking, he can go play U.S. Open qualifying. But, I mean, what a week for Sarandolo. Again, you look at the victories he was able to compile this week, wins over uh, Sabath Vild and Kasmenovic, Montiero, Correa, Ramos, Vinoles. Can't say he didn't earn it. And it was one of the funkier runs, but absolutely a fantastic run to the title for Juan Manuel Serendolo. And again, we are certain to talk about him more as the rest of this season unfolds. Let's move now to the hardcourt indoor events and let's start in Montpellier. It's impossible to feel anything but great for David Goffin, who has been so open about his struggles playing and finding his rhythm in this pandemic lace times and you know, for him uh, to be back in the winner's circle, I believe, for the first time since 2017 as he earns the title over Roberto Bautista Gut in three sets in Montpellier, you just feel exceptional for Gofan. And, of course, you look for Gofan, who throughout the week, uh, you look at, you know, his total wins, I believe, in his four wins, three of the four came in a three-set fashion wins over. Yeah, you look here now, uh, Benjamin Bonzi, uh, and then the straight set went over Snego before the three sets over Jerzymov and Bautista. He just, he got better as the week progressed. He found his rhythm, the forehand. He became more uh, aggressive with it, moving it around the court, comfortable moving forward, of course, David Gofan, a guy who's always been able to do a little bit of everything, such a fantastic athlete, a great mover as well, and he just took away everything Roberto Bautista Agut wanted to do, didn't let Bautista Agut sit on that ad side, hit the inside out forehand to open up the inside in for himself, which of course is the pattern he wants to turn to, and by the way, Roberto Bautista Agut had a 3-3 three and three win over Ugo Bear in the quarterfinals of this event. That may have been some of the highest quality tennis I've seen this season. I mean, in terms of just in a victory. I mean, he worked Ugo Umber. And Ugo Umber was making Bautista Agut earn it. Uh, you know, he was making ball after ball. But, you know, Umber just didn't have the shots to really hit through the court against Bautista Agut, who tracked everything down and then hit some miraculous inside-out forehands during the course of that match. It was a fantastic week for Bautista Agut after a disappointing Australia, but for David Goffin, again, for him to find his rhythm, get that fantastic win after dropping the first set in the final, and then, you know, gets up early breaks in both sets two and three to hold on against Bautista Gut. Uh, it's a great week of tennis for him, and now you look for David Goffin, who's very much protected by the current ranking system, but up to number 14 with the win. He'll feel good with that title under his belt. He'll be playing in Rotterdam this week. Certainly has some confidence going into that event as well. Great result for him. Let's move now to our last event, a funky one, no denying that. Alexi Popperin upsetting, yeah, I think it's safe to say upsetting Sasha Bublik in the final in Singapore, 4-6, 6-love, 6-2 victory. Uh, Now, that second set was not the prettiest tennis, but when you look at Alexi Popperin, 
Reminds me a lot of Kyle Edmund. The big serve, the big forehand. He got su- he found such a good rhythm on the Bublik serve. Seemed to be reading it really well. And just if he's able to get his racket on that Bublik serve, the way he's able to absorb and redirect the pace Bublik puts on it, he was able to get the point to neutral and then eventually find a forehand to take control of the point. Now, this was a very quick match, right? 4 6 6 0 6 2. The match was played in an hour 24 minutes. And, you know, th- there weren't long points. And that's a credit to Alexi Pop who went 33 of 35 in this match on his first serve and 46 of 52 overall on service points. He was broken once in the match. It came in the very first set. Uh, I think he, after the first set, dropped like two points on serve the rest of the match. So was it the cleanest performance from Bublik who continues? It's like, you know, again, so many, what's you, there are two people who run to first base. One's got really terrible form. One's got exceptional form. Who do you take? And they get there at the same time. You take the guy with the terrible form because teach him good form and imagine what he's going to do. If someone taught Sasha Bublik the rhythms of a tennis match and just a little bit more of the traditional mindset of, you know, two cross, one line, and just be a little bit more disciplined with his patterns. He's got all of the skills, and he's got the modern frame you want as an athlete, 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, fluid, uh, you know, again, can generate power on the run and can slide into his shots, good feel, good hands, uh, good creativity, but... Just not enough discipline again. Paparin was so disciplined with his servant forehand all week long. And it's crazy to think for Paparin, who almost lost his very first match in this tournament against Chris Eubanks, was a 7 6 7 6. <coughs> Excuse me. First round affair. Um, but, you know, from there, started playing better and better. And for Paparin, gets that win. Three set win over former top junior Adrian and Dreve, then a straight set win over Ebden, six and six over Chilich as well. He held serve like a champ all weekend long, and that's always going to be the foundation for Alexi Popper. And that serve, that forehand, particularly on a hard court, it has the opportunity to win him a ton of matches throughout his pro career. The question is, how good can everything else be? And in this match in particular, he did enough with his returns, made enough of them in the court, was rock solid on that backhand wing, and then. And again, was so confident in finding forehands, hitting through his forehand. He earns the first title of his career. Now, for Sasha Bublik, I actually was really impressed by his tennis all week long until that final. And he just kind of ran out of gas at the end. But you look in the live rankings now, Popperin with the win. He is up to number 82. That's a career high for him. Bublik with the final up to number 44, which is one off of his career high of 43. Uh, now he's three points away from passing Miamir Kesemanovic, 10 points away from passing Marin Cilic for a new career high of number 42. He's going to crack the top 40 this season, folks. I, Especially on the hard courts, on the grass, his creativity, his ability to move forward, it's going to win him so many matches and I continue to be fascinated so fun week of tennis in Singapore ultimately uh, Alexi Popperin earning his first title of his young pro career that's all the ATP level action want to quickly touch on the challengers although I'm going to try and get David Gertler to come back on to talk more challenger tennis in depth with me particularly talk Cordoba because those are a lot of guys we see uh, playing the clay challengers early in the year and maybe go in depth a little bit on Juan Manuel and some of the other results we saw there because uh, I didn't talk much about Cordoba Diego Schwartzman losing in the quarterfinals there 
or excuse me, yeah, in the quarterfinals there to Albert Ramos, Vinoles, and you know Benoit Pair uh, losing to Federico Correa was a fun event, but we're going to save that. Uh, I'm also not going to touch too much on Enzo Cacao's win in uh, Canaria in Gran Canaria, Spain last week, six and six win for him over Steven Diaz in the final, but. I do want to talk about my guy, Mackie McDonald, who follows up a fantastic Australian Open where he made the fourth round of the event by uh, winning, uh, I believe, the third challenger title of his career for Mackie. He goes to Nur Sultan last week, knocks off top-seeded Mikhail Kukushkin 5-5 five and five in the first round and rolls from there, beats Dennis Istomin, beats Federico Silva, and then drops three games total in both his semifinal and final matches to win the event, a 1-2 and two win over Yuri Rodion off to earn the crown and Again, you look for Mackie McDonald now, who's back up to number 118 in the live rankings. He's 21-12 and 12 in his last 52. You look, in particular, was a quarterfinalist in the ATP at North Sultan uh, to end last season before he played a couple of challengers, was a quarterfinalist in Orlando before he lost to Brandon Nakashima. You know, then you look at what he did in Australia, fourth round, uh, you know, actually I should say second round of the Murray River Open where he lost in 3-2 Alex Bolt, a match he should have won, and then he makes fourth round beating Borna Chorich, Lloyd Harris, Chechenato before losing to Medvedev. Now he goes and wins matches he should win. He's returned to form and he's going to play again this week in North Sultan as they've got another challenger there, but he's winning matches he should win, and when you're watching someone come back from injury, that's always an encouraging sign, and we know how how great a shot maker Mackie McDonald can be, how athletic he is around the court. Health, though, and confidence, such a big part of him having success on the court. He's got both of those right now, as well as his ideal surfaces, hard courts, indoor hard courts that are playing fast. I love that for his game as well. I expect him to have success this week in North Sultan, and he starts things out in all college tennis matchups. He's going to take on UNC's, a former UNC Tar Heel, I should say, Braden Schnur, so that should be a really fun first match, but... <clears throat> excuse me, fantastic result for Mackie McDonald as he works his way back to where he belongs in the ATP rankings. That's all of last week's action. Quick preview of what we've got going on this week, and I could talk for hours about this wax poetically. I'm sure I will throughout the course of this week's mini breaks. I am excited as I'm going to be on press row for both of this week's WTA events in Doha and Lyon. You look at the event in Doha, top-seeded is Alina Svitolina, the number two seed, Karolina Pliskova. I believe number three seed in the event, Arena Sabalenka, going to have her first match round of 16 against Garbine Muguruza. So that should be really exciting. I mentioned Benchich Keys coming up later tonight. Maria Sakari, Annette Conteve already knocking off, by the way, Australian Open finalist Jennifer Brady. Petra Kvitova in the draw. Vika Azarenka in the draw. Should be a fantastic week of tennis in Doha in Lyon. We already saw our top seed knocked off by a former top junior, Clara Tawson, knocking off Ekaterina Alexandrova, the number two seed there this week is Fiona Farrow, three-seed Caroline Garcia, the number four-seed Kiki Mladenovic. So again, should be two very fun events. We've also got the first ATP 500 of the year in Rotterdam. Australian Open finalist Daniel Medvedev, the number one seed, number two seed, is going to be semifinalist Stefano Tsitsipas, the three seed there this week. Alex Virev, the fourth seed. Andre Rublev, the next gens here, folks. Those are your top four seeds, all next geners. Of course, you've also got people like Kane Shikori, who knocked off seven seeded FAA earlier today. You've got Andy Murray, three set win over Robin Hassa. 
to advance as well. And, you know, ton uh, fun. I see a Hatchinov of Rinka first round match. I see a bunch of fun ones over the course of the week. So again, that should be good. The clay court action continues in South America in Buenos Aires. Diego Schwartzman, the top seed this week, number two seed. Christian Guerin, he's got some points to defend. I also see some dangerous youngsters in the draw. Tiago Tarante, Holger Rune, uh, Francisco and Juan Manuel Serendolo, both in action. Jaume Munar, Francis Tiafo, Miomir Kesmenovic. So yeah, We've got plenty of good tennis on our hands. And then, of course, we've got three challengers. We've got another one in Nur Sultan. I mentioned Sun Wu, uh, I mentioned Mackie McDonald. He's in action there, as is Sun Wu Kwan, our top seed. Emil Rusevori, our number two th- uh, seed. I see our three seed, Mikhail Kukushkin, already knocked off. But I do also see number four seed, James Duckworth, in action later today. I also know we've got Carlos Alcaraz back in action in one of our challengers in Spain. He's the top seed there. Federico Gayo, the number two seed. The number four seed, Danilo Petro. The three seed is going to be Nikola Miljevic there. And then in St. Petersburg, our final challenger, top seed Roman Sefillian, number two seed Chem Ickel, number four seed Chris Eubanks, and our number three seed Rudolf Mulliker. So, fantastic slate of matches on our hands. And of course, we'll be covering it all here on our uh, here on our Crack Rackets podcast, here on the mini break day in, day out. If you miss any of our action, be sure to go check out our website, crackrackets.com. You need those more immediate updates. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Crack Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, for the of any job they do day in day out shout out as well to our friends at midwest sports go to midwestsports.com use that promo code cr15 to get 15 percent off your order but with that in mind for my wonderful super producers Fligner and westoff our friends at midwest sports and all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you you know what we say that's the break and we will see you all tomorrow thanks everyone 